This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Kelly. Our guest this week is Iowa U.S. Senator Tom Harkin. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Robo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator Tom Harkin next. As a leading financial services provider in the United States, Robo AgriFinance adds value using industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and by creating long-term business relationships. Robo AgriFinance offers a comprehensive portfolio of services that gives producers and agribusinesses the right products to prepare for and to take advantage of market opportunities. This comprehensive suite of services includes loans, insurance, middle market, input financing, and effective risk management products. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Rabobank, the premier bank of the global agriculture industry and one of the world's largest and safest banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. This week we feature AgriPulse President Sarah Wyatt and an exclusive interview with Iowa Senator Tom Harkin. Senator Harkin has spent 40 years in Washington as a voice for both farmers and rural America. Serving in both the House and the Senate, Harkin has championed farm, nutrition, energy, and conservation policy. He's had a hand in eight farm bills and says none have been easy. Probably the toughest was the 85 farm bill. Uh, I had just come to the Senate in 85 after having been on the House Ag Committee for 10 years. And uh, we were right in the midst of our farm crisis. Farmers were going broke. Suicides were being committed. Uh, it was a very, very tough, contentious year. Uh, I had been promoting what was called the Family Farm Act, which later became known as Harkin Gephardt <laughs> Bill. Uh, and um, it was a, a different way of, of approaching the farm crisis other than just throwing a lot of money at it, which, uh, which again, I didn't think was going to work that well in terms of a lot of money going to people that really didn't farm. May have been absentee landlords and all that kind of stuff, but we really wanted to get money down to those that were actually tilling the soil and growing our crops. So 85 was a tough one. As you know, we had to follow that up just a couple years after that with the farm credit bill that I was very heavily involved in. And so uh, I'd like to say the 85 Farm Bill helped a little bit, but then the credit bill is really what saved Midwest agriculture, which basically refinanced farmers' debt, refinanced over a long period of time and cut the payments down. And uh, it cost the government some money, cost people money, but we kept a lot of farmers in business. And sure enough, the worm turned, the winds turned, farmers started making more money. We got our surpluses down. And uh, it worked. It worked. It was. I like to. I like to almost say that that what we did in the late '80s for farmers is sort of what Barack Obama did for the auto industry. He knew that the auto industry could turn around. All they needed was some bridge money. They needed some 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 help in the in, in, in the immediate time. And sure enough, the auto industry is fine and vibrant in America today, just like agriculture. 
Certainly we've expanded the Farm Bill quite a bit. A lot of different titles have been added in, in part because of your leadership on conservation and rural development and bioenergy. Energy, right. Um, so we had the 2014 Farm Bill signed by the President in February. Some very interesting coalitions around getting that thing passed. Mm-hmm. Not once, but twice in the U.S. Senate. Right. What kinds of coalitions do you envision are going to be needed going forward for future Farm Bills? Well, first of all, let me just go back. Uh, you, you talked about the 2014 Farm Bill. I had to pass twice. You forget that we passed the 2008 Farm Bill twice. President vetoed it twice, and we overrode his veto twice and had to get it through. Uh, that was pretty tough. But you're, you're talking about looking forward on coalitions. First and most important thing to remember is that we have to keep food and agriculture together. We have to keep the the nutrition and the food and the energy title now that we put in under my 2002 Farm Bill was the first energy title in a Farm Bill. That was Dick Luger and I worked together to get that done. So now energy's become a, a component of that. And as you mentioned, rural development and certainly conservation. So now you're putting together coalitions of, of people who are uh, conservationists, clean water, clean air groups, Hunters, of course, and fishermen, uh, in terms of, 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 of clean water and, and enough habitat for, for hunters. And that's part of this whole conservation. It's no, it's no longer just, so it used to, and of course, I was involved in the beginning of the CRP program, but those days are over with. The idea that you're going to pay farmers to take land out of production, we need to, and that's what led me to the conservation stewardship program, mm-hmm. was the idea that we're not going to be paying farmers to take land out of production. First of all, you can't. We don't have enough money to pay for to offset the amount of money they would make on it by producing on it. Plus, we need to produce food for a growing world population uh, and more people getting their protein from meat sources. Uh, you have to uh, keep in mind that we're going we're to have to have food, people, uh, nutrition, energy. Conservation people are all going to be heavily involved in future farm bills more than they've ever been in the past. As you pointed out, we have more titles. And there's another segment of agriculture that was never involved in ag bills before, but they are now. And that's your specialty crops. Mm-hmm. That's your fruit, uh, orchardists, uh, vegetable growers, organics, that type of thing are now Growing, In fact, it's probably some of the fastest growing parts of our agriculture. And now they have a part of the Farm Bill. So we've just finished up an election with um, some very game-changing results. Uh, there wasn't a high turnout in this midterm election, mm-hmm. uh, but we did see high participation in rural areas. As a result of that, I'd like your reflection on whether farm organizations and rural voters are still as relevant as they used to be when you started here in Congress in terms of political influence. Well, overall... As you know, rural America is losing clout in terms of votes here. Mm-hmm. When I first came to the House, we had uh, six congressmen from Iowa. We now have four, mm-hmm. and that's mostly rural areas. And that's happened in other states, too. So we have to confront that. I mean, there are still votes there. I mean, people still have votes. But I think more and more, it's less of a vote regarding a farm vote than it is a 
rural vote. Now, here's what I mean about small towns, communities, rural votes. People who live may not may not farm, but they live in our small towns and communities, and they probably drive 30, 40 miles a day to work. But they come back to the small towns where they enjoy the weekends, and it's safe, and they have some space. <laughs> so I think the rural vote is more ascendant in terms of rural economic development, rural housing, rural water, uh, education, uh, broadband, so that you know we're not you're not going to build big schools in areas where you only got a few kids, but you can in those schools provide uh, broadband with so that uh, they get the same kind of education and educational materials that someone would get in a big city high school, for example. So uh, health care, rural health care, big issue. People want to live in rural America. But they also want to have health care close by. That's why I've been involved in Iowa, especially. When I f- first started on this in the 80s, we had two community health centers in Iowa. We now have 14. And we just broke down on another one, 15, will open next summer. Uh, again, answering the need for small towns and communities in rural Iowa to have access to quality health care that's affordable. Because with a community health center, you know, anybody can walk in the door. And uh, sliding scale in terms of how much you pay, depending on your income. So in the future, it'll be the farm vote the, as in terms of agriculture. You know, what's the farm bill? What's that? How do we speak to farmers who actually grow our crops? That's going to be important. But rising in importance more and more are the what I call the rural vote. So if you had a parting piece of advice for farm organization leaders who want to be more influential in the political process, should it be that they reach out to those small-town voters, or what would you suggest? I would say so, yes, and start thinking about rural housing. For example, how many people in Iowa know, very few, that since Tom Vilsack has been Secretary of Agriculture, I believe I'm correct... We have over 16,000 homeowners in Iowa that wouldn't have a home but for the rural development programs of agriculture. This didn't come through HUD, came through agriculture. And these are like first-time homeowners in small towns, young people who get married, don't have a lot of money, and they can get a low-interest, long-term loan through our rural development for housing. Think of that, 16,000. That's a lot of houses around. And um, and rural energy, the REAP program, uh, for example. We're having small communities build their own little energy systems in, in communities around Iowa, not just Iowa, but around the country, too. Um, if I were in, in a, running a general farm organization, now, I would say, yes, you've got to start looking at people living in small towns communities. What are their needs? And how can we start to represent them, too? We're always going to have our commodity groups. I assume we're always going to have the corn growers and the soybean producers and the pork producers and the cattlemen and the wheat growers and cotton and rice and everybody else. We're always going to have those. But you say a general farm organization. I would think, I think there's a, an opening here probably for what you might call a, a general a rural uh, entity, not a, not a general agriculture, but a general rural uh, entity that doesn't just represent farmers, but really starts speaking for people in rural America. 
conservation stewardship program. Right. It's a legacy program for you. There's yes, millions yes. of acres enrolled. Yep. You still have concerns about what nutrients getting in the water supply in Iowa. Yeah. What's the answer? Is it more enrollment? Is it different federal programs? Well, when somebody says, well, you know, you got this conservation stewardship program, you got about 3 million acres in Iowa, you got about 84 million acres nationwide enrolled in it, but we are still got bad water, our water's getting fouled. I said, just think what it would be like without the conservation security program. How bad would it be then? Des Moines really would be like uh, that city in Ohio that had to shut down if we didn't have this. Do we need to do more? Yes, we do. As I've told so many young farmers coming in here that you can't farm the same way your grandpa did. You can't even farm the same way your dad did. I've been here 40 years. So much has changed in, in technology and and tiling. You know, when I came here, I always talked about, you know, we had those old red clay tiles that we tiled with. They were inefficient. They leaked and they get clogged up and stuff. Took forever to put them in. But now you got tiling machines, and one day they can tile half a county. Well, I'm exaggerating to make a point. And they put in this really great tile. And so now, when that water hits that ground, it hits that, and it's into a ditch, and it's into a stream, and it's into a river, and it's down the Mississippi. So we really have to start thinking about how we do more upland conservation. I still say the main point on this is what J.N. Ding Darling once said years ago. The best way to prevent a flood is to stop the raindrop where it falls. It's also the best way to clean up our rivers and stuff, and that is to give more help to farmers for better soil conservation, better technology, using less nutrients where they don't have to be used. And some of that's expensive, but we had to give them tax breaks and everything else to do that. Again, people in our small towns, communities, and people in our larger cities in rural America are going to be demanding that we have cleaner water. And so are our sportsmen. Uh, and we can't just ignore it any longer. So, as I said, we're going to have to do more for upland treatment. Uh, we're going to have to do more on the conservation stewardship program. We're going to have to have better buffer strips. Uh, we're going to have to have more trees. We're going to have to have more uh, minimum tillage programs uh, using modern technology to apply nutrients in a measured amount and also for, for feedlots, for our confinements, uh, for hogs. We're going to have to come to grips with that pretty soon. As I said, we just can't continue to do some of these things like we did in the past. So these are going to be items where the government's going to have to work with farmers to provide whatever tax incentives, whatever breaks we can give them to respond to the needed environmental impact of, of, of these. People still want cheap food. They still want to have that nice pork chop, which I love myself, or that beef steak, or that poultry. Uh, yes, okay, but we're going to have to make sure we do it in an environmentally sound manner. You've had such a tremendous legacy in farm and food policy that I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one last question about sure. nutrition programs mm -hmm. and what you see as the biggest advancement during your career that we've made in nutrition policy? Has it been at the school lunch level? Has it been in the uh, food stamp or supplemental nutrition assistance program? Or what really is the one issue that stands out in terms of nutrition assistance as the highlight in your career? I have worked for all my time on the Ag Committees on nutrition programs because I consider it to be a vital part of the Farm Bill, and it will be in the future too. So I hope they never separate those two.
or the farm community is going to lose big time. But on nutrition, I would say uh, strengthening the food stamp and the child nutrition programs. Uh, I created the fresh fruit and vegetable program in the uh, 2002 farm bill. Uh, we expanded it in the 2008 farm bill. And now it's about we're reaching poor kids in elementary school all over America with free, free fresh fruits and vegetables, which they've never had before. And I and the schools love it, families love it, teachers love it. So uh, I'm kind of proud of that that program. It's now pretty well embedded in our in our in our public schools. We're, I guess we're serving over three million kids in that right now, about 160 million dollars per year right now in that fresh fruit and vegetable free. I want the free fresh fruit and vegetable program for kids. Uh, we reformed the school lunch program and the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act of 2010. Yes, that one. Uh, and we also set standards for all the food in schools. Now, here's, I think, of all the changes, this is probably the biggest one. In the past, the Secretary of Agriculture could only control the food served in the lunchroom, in the school lunch, school lunch or school breakfast program. But then the kids go down the hall and put money in vending machines or they have a la carte lines or they do things like that, over which there were no nutrition standards. So now, because of legislation that we passed, and Secretary Vilsack has done this, the Secretary now has the authority to basically regulate all the food in the school, no matter where it is. And so now we've come up with better guidelines, better food standards. No more, get this, now, starting, starting right now, no more vending machines with sodas in schools. It'll be like it was when I was a kid. No more, no more vending machines with sodas or, or junk food and potato chips and things like that in our, in our schools. Um, yeah, that's why I said uh, those standards, this is the first year that those standards are in place right now. Uh, it took a long time to get there. And as you know, you probably read about kids are upset about this and all that kind of stuff. And I've had people say, you, you made all those changes. Kids don't like it. They're throwing this food away and stuff. I said, oh, oh, so what we should do is give the kids what they want. And they want candy and pop all day. We should just give them that. I said, kids don't know what nutrition is. That's why we're adults. <laughs> that's why that's why schools stand in what the old that old Latin phrase in loco parentis, in place of parents. Would a parent give their child whatever they wanted to eat every day? Of course not. And we shouldn't be doing that in schools either. So I understand there's going to be a little bit of a time here. Kids will be a little upset. They're not getting their French fries and they're not getting their high sodium and their sugars and all that. But you know what? It'll settle down. It'll settle down. Kids will be healthier. And even they will figure out that they feel better when they're not stuffing themselves with starches, fats, and sugars. So to me, this has been one of the one of the really good things I think we've done for the health, the future health of the people of our country. Senator Tom Harkin, thank you so much for everything you've done for American agriculture and for joining us on AgriPulse Open Mind. Our thanks to AgriPulse President Sarah Wyatt and Iowa Senator Tom Harkin, our guests this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Robo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and to take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at roboag.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Galley.